Hello, and welcome to the Fantastic Comic Fan Podcast. I am your host, R.T. Fleming. I'm here to help you find your next digital pick from the golden age to the present. Since I was a kid, I have been reading comics, and I have never lost my love of comic books. I try to pass on that excitement for comic books to others, always looking for that next fantastic read, or discovering an old favorite. It's Friday, June 8, 2022, and this is episode 43 of the Fantastic Comic Fan Podcast, and today is the last of the four episodes for the week. I started off on Tuesday with Rob Taylor out of Chattanooga, who started a program called Smash Comics for Kids, whose goal is to bring comics to kids in children's hospitals with a fantastic project. Wednesday, I brought on Michael Nunnally talking about his indie comic called Cedar, it is a horror Viking story with a little bit of North mythology, paranormal, supernatural, and just a bit of magic also thrown in. I like to read in the comics so much I had to have Michael on the podcast. And I hope you want to go out and track down the comic once you listen to him. The comic does make for good reading. Yesterday, I did a solo, something I hadn't done for a few weeks. I covered all those Marvel comics that came out in June 1962. The same month, Spider-Man made his first appearance. And I focused on those creators and characters you might not know so much, but they're part of the Marvel Foundation that made Marvel Comics what it is today. And that brings us to today, where I travel back to the Silver Age with fellow podcaster Paul Hicks, who co-hosts the Doom Patrol podcast. We're talking about Doom Patrol 88, the incredible origin of the Chief from 1964. It was a blast talking with Paul, and you'll see why when you read the Silver Age Doom Patrol comic yourself. You've never done so, you're in for a treat. Overall, the week has some great episodes, so please review and rate the podcast, spread the word, suggest it to other comic fans, look at the show notes, and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and other social media. The more listeners to in, the more you might discover a new comic, help fund a campaign from Kickstarter, or support a great project like Smash Comics. Now I want to hear from you. The good, the not-so-good things about the podcast. What you like, don't like. What should I cover in the future? You're free to message me on Instagram, Twitter, or email me at fantasticcomicfan, all one word, at gmail.com. Now, on to the podcast. Welcome to Fantastic Comic Fan. Today I've got Paul Hicks, and we're going to be talking about Doom Patrol. But Paul, you are involved in multiple podcasts. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what you're doing with your podcast, first off. Well, the main podcast we have is called Waiting for Doom. Uh, it was called that because we were into the Doom Patrol, Mike and I, my podcasting partner. Uh, but when we started the podcast, there was no Doom Patrol comic. And so Waiting for Doom was a good name for that. Uh, <laughs> since then, the Doom Patrol comic has come back twice, at least. We've had a TV show come out, which is pretty <laughs> exciting and remarkable. But yeah, we're Waiting for Doom again now because there's no comic uh, as such they are appearing in uh, batman superman world's finest right now but i think that's just a short-term engagement i don't think they're going to be around for long yeah but uh, on that network we have a few podcasts uh the other big one we do is called dc ocd which is basically going through every single dc event from crisis on infinite earths uh, on up and i have uh, guests on it where are you on in that one we, uh, we uh, the last one we did was Event Leviathan, so we really we had to take a break, <laughs> yeah, because uh, we'd done uh, fifty two episodes and we'd got to that point, and uh, one of the 
things we do is score the events. And uh, one of the factors that we scored on is uh, impact and legacy. And because we'd caught up so much, we it was very hard to talk about the impact and legacy on things that were brand new. So we uh, took a bit over a year off, but we're about to start up again with, uh, I think it's going to be, ah, what's coming up? Anyway, we've got Doomsday Clock. We'll be doing Future State, uh, stuff like that. So... It, yeah. DC has a lot of events coming on at the same time and crossing over to like multiple events. And yeah, no, there are events that lead into events now. So, yeah, <laughs> it's not what it used to be when you, you know, in the classic days, I think of things like Invasion and Final Final Night, and they just stood alone and they were one offs. But uh, now it's uh, very intertwined and very um, editorially uh, spruced, I guess would be the yes. word. Yes. How did you get into comic books? What was your um, your big thing that got you like, hey, I'm a comic fan for life? That's something I usually ask somebody pretty close to a uh, guesting on the podcast. Well, the main thing was I wanted to be a comic fan, but I wasn't allowed to be. So, uh, you know, uh, they were, uh, my mum was a uh, high school principal and thought that, uh, you know, comics were. Hold on one second. Not- I need to tell everybody that you're in Australia. So it's. Um, <laughs> Eight o'clock in the morning here, and like near midnight there. So the comic scene is a little bit different in Australia than it is here in the United States. But go on with your story. Yeah, so I'm, I always wanted to read comics, but they weren't proper books, so I wasn't really allowed to. But you know, I would read all my friends' comics whenever I could, and occasionally try and borrow them and things like that. But uh, yeah, well, as soon as I had um, source of money, I was uh, I was often buying things, and uh, that that was around mid eighties, uh, you know, towards the end of the eighties. So. There was good stuff happening then, like uh, you know, Dark Knight Returns and Batman Year One and Swamp Thing and all that sort of stuff. So, you, yeah, you know, I think everybody has their when they start getting the comic book. It has their golden age is like right then. I got into comic books in um, right around nineteen seventy seven because I'm a little bit older than you, and some of the stuff that people now like, oh, that's terrible. I'm like, no, no, it's really good. Like. Uh, the Teen Titans revival that they had in the mid seventies with the uh, Titans East and Titans West. Like, I still like that. And everybody has their golden age of, of comic books. You know, it's funny because back then I also had the same problem where comic books weren't literature, you know, teachers like frowned upon them and um, wouldn't let you read comic books. And now it's like, here kid, here's a comic book, read this one, read that one. It's much more <laughs> acceptable. I always felt comic books, acted as a gateway to better um, forms of, you know, literature, novels and short stories. And that's how I became a lifelong reader of comics. Yeah, I mean, comics can give you a a really good vocabulary and uh, understand concepts that you wouldn't be exposed to normally. And, you know, um, I'm the the best speller of all my my siblings, etc., just because I used to read a lot and I think I was reading weird stuff, so... And yeah. I'm the same way. I'm like I'm like a great speller. Like somebody always would always ask me, "How do you spell this? How do you spell that?" I'm like, well, just look it up and find out for yourself. <laughs> we are yeah. going today cover a Silver Age issue of Doom Patrol. Now, my podcast is geared to new fans and older fans. And why should new fans who are like just now getting into comic books in the last year or so and they're just starting to get their feet wet? What's about the Silver Age that, you know, you've got to read these things, whether it's a DC or a Marvel, you have to look at some of the Silver Age. Why? 
<laughs> well, I, I'm probably the the wrong guy to ask because I'm not that into Silver Age comics. So I tend I post crisis, which uh, for those of you who don't know is like uh, 1985 upwards was you know that was considered sort of modern age, and I was you know that's when I started reading. That's when I started buying. So that's when I really latched onto. But there is a few things that I went backwards on just to to read. But one of the things was uh, Doom Patrol had such a great reputation for you know telling really weird stories with fantastic art and the uh, the draftsmanship in those comics is really impressive so you know doom patrol alone is you know it's a very impressive book to look at and the anatomy and the uh, you know crazy contraptions and the situations are very uh, well done and the stories uh, they move like the clappers like there's, there's not any you know, there's not too much silver age silliness in there i mean it's filled with comic book science which uh, you know is not very scientific, but uh, it's lots of fun. But uh, yeah, they're, they're good times. And I think you can see the influence of this art on a lot of people today as far as, you know, uh, this guy could draw. He could draw horses, he could draw submarines, he could draw, you know, spaceships and aliens and robots and people and, you know, attractive women and houses and all that sort of stuff. There was nothing he couldn't draw when he put his mind to it. Uh, I'm talking about Bruno Premiani, the artist on the Doom Patrol when it first started. The, the writer of um, Doom Patrol is Arnold Drake, who actually had a very long career in comic books. He also co-created Dead Man, which I actually didn't realize until recently. And he also had a hand in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, Doom Patrol, how long did the first Silver Age Doom Patrol last? About how many years? Uh, let's see. It would have started around 63 and gone yeah. to about six, 67? Six, no, 69. 69, I think. So... About six years was the first iteration, and at the end of the that run, they killed the team. Which and was... that's really weird because not only did they actually kill the team, they really killed the team for quite a long time and didn't. Yeah, I mean, I mean that was unusual for them back then to actually kill off a team. It was quite different for them to do that. And then, like, well, now death don't matter because you know, oh, we'll, <laughs> we'll kill you off today and bring you back next week. I mean, even the next one can't stay dead for very long anymore. Yeah. So I. When I asked you to guest on the podcast and we worked something out, I usually let the guest pick out a comic book or event or subject because I feel that I want to be excited and thrilled and bring out the comic geek in them. And you <laughs> chose, you chose Doom Patrol 88 from June, well, 1964, actually came out in May of 1964. And it has Robot Man on the cover of it and poor Rita Farr in a jar like a bug and the Baron on the cover. So this is, the cover says, the most incredible story ever, the origin of the chief, the man who lived twice. So why did you pick this one offhand? Well, I thought, I, I focus on so much of the stuff in the, uh, the, the podcast over the years, but I thought... I was learning to podcast when we first started and I thought some of these earlier stories I, I'd like to come back at and uh, have another crack at them because I think we could do better. Uh, but this one in particular, it's the origin of the chief and it has um, one of the most insane panels that I've ever seen to do with the Duke Patrol. And one of the things that's important about the chief is basically he was... He's the leader of the team. So he's a bit like Professor X. He's a guy in a wheelchair, a bit like Professor X. Um, he's arrogant and very smart, uh, a bit like Professor X. Didn't but, both um, of those, like, I'm sorry, didn't both of those like come out at the same time almost? So it's not like Marvel copied DC or DC copied Marvel. They kind of like sort of came out at the same time or near each other? Uh, Doom Patrol came slightly before X-Men, but the 
everyone thinks it's too soon to have been a copy because they would have been production in production simultaneously. So, you know, but uh, yeah, there is suspicion that maybe people were talking behind the scenes, but uh, those who were there at the time said it, it's not really like Bob Haney was involved as well. So yeah, they said that, there is suspicion, but no evidence. So, gotcha. anyways, go on, <laughs> go on with the issue. Yeah. So this one is all about the chief's origin, and the chief becomes a full-on villain in the the eighties, in the late eighties, uh, early nineties. Um, yes. Yeah, and a lot of people were upset by this retcon, but I think all the seeds of the chief being a villain are here at the start in in the earlier parts of his run. So. We do see that, uh, yeah, a villain appears on the who's the Baron, and he uh, he's outsmarting everybody and pulling off spectacular uh, crimes, like he robs a ship at sea from a submarine. Uh, he robs an armored car with a plane with a giant magnet, and then he says, "I'm going to do another robbery at this point." And the Doom Patrol get called in at that spot to, uh, you know, he's going to rob this jewelers. So Rita Far, who whose powers she can get really, really big or really, really small, um, Elastic Girl as she is uh she she likes to walk around carrying her teammates like their action figures right which is yes. one, one of the things i love but they decide yeah, that they'll yeah, hit. There's, there's a scene of her um leaping over buildings and she's got uh robot man in one hand and negative man in the other and you're right yeah she's like, look i've got my action figures here look this is my ken doll but they arrive at the uh, jewelers and say, you know, there's going to be a robbery here. And the chief has deduced the, the first crime happened at sea, the second one from the air. So the third one's going to happen from the ground. So, yeah, there's actually a tunneling into the bank by uh, into the jewelers by the Baron who steals stuff. But then they, the Doom Patrol interfere and, uh, you know, disable his henchmen. And the Baron basically gets away by blackmailing and saying, hey, I've set a bomb that's going to blow up these tunnels unless you release me. The bomb's going to go off. So they have to let him go because that's what people did in the Silver Age. They let people go when there was a threat. There's uh, the... The, the chief has a computer that basically tells him things, which is really useful, and says, uh, I think this is, isn't actually the Baron. This is my old foe, General Immortus, or linked to General Immortus. And um, they said, well, why are you so afraid of General Immortus? And he says, well, I've got to tell you about my origins at this point. So did, uh, um, They didn't really do much origin with the first Doom Patrol, did they much? Well, I mean, in the first issue, it's sort of you find I mean, yeah, out where... Yeah. The but you don't really delve from... into their past before the Doom Patrol very much, do you? Not really, no. Which is, uh, you know, the TV show has made it a staple of every episode, basically, yes. is to get into people's origins and the trauma they've been through. But, uh, you know, trauma wasn't really the focus back then. So, yeah, but we do see a lot about the Chief's past. Now, it's important to note a few things about the Chief, is that a lot of his early enemies are people he used to work with colleagues so clearly he was completely insufferable that he turned his colleagues into uh, psychopath mad scientists <laughs> and he himself i mean he was excelling in all types of science so basically uh, but he could build robots to do things but uh, he's investigating the or you know how to extend life how to live longer but you know he's spending all his money on this so he's living and you know he's freezing and he's spending his money on feeding his lab animals rather than himself but then uh, a, a large asian man shows up and gives him a a box of money basically and says hey uh, you use this but first you have to you know whatever you discover about uh, longevity of life you have to tell my boss so so he's uh, quite happy to get this money uh so he <laughs> this, this panel 
this panel haunts me. It's the one where the, you know, with this money, he's able to up his science. So, uh, you know, completely mad it up. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> there's a panel of him. He's uh, basically grafted a head of another dog onto an, uh, onto a dog. So there's a dog with two heads. I, 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 yeah, I looked at him, but that's <laughs> kind of creepy, even for the Silver Age back then. <laughs> that's not a normal thing to do. No. <laughs> that's that's, that's no. not very cool. Yeah. So, that, I mean, if you just look at that, you go, oh, this guy's insane. But he works out how to revive a rabbit from being dead with a, his life ray. But then he, he thought, okay, I, I'm doing all this great work i'll i've basically i've created a way to track down where my benefactor is uh through monitoring his the phone signals that he sends me so he goes to this um basically it's a james bond lair mansion uh, it does have a very james bond feel to it for the times and he sneaks aboard from a boat and then uh, you know he hangs outside a window and he's you know, basically the the crime statistics report of the day, um, how all the how the the crimes are going, counterfeiting and smuggling, etc. And he's oh no, I'm working for a criminal, but uh, he gets caught. Not a very and, good, not a very good um, wannabe spy reporter. Yeah, and he discovers that the man he's working for is General Immortus, who does indeed just dress like a general, and he may be immortal, as the name suggests. Like he says, he's been around since uh, the time of Galileo, at least. But would he does just, look very would you old. General Immortus, like his arch enemy. Uh, not particularly. He, I mean, no. he did recur a, a few times, but uh, you know, he did have a stable. I mean, I think the Brotherhood of Evil were the the, the arch enemies of the day. You know, certainly, and very spectacular to look at, like the brain and Malar, the, yes. the gorilla. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he he's probably in the top three. Like he he was around a lot, and he continued on throughout the years. So we see him in modern day Doom Patrol occasionally, and he's just you know he pops uh, up every so often. Yeah, just a creepy old guy who gives them good or bad advice at the time. Basically says, I want to learn the the secret of living longer, even though I've lived a long time, but I can't you know, can't keep it going at the moment. So um, to make sure that you do what I want, I'm going to put a bomb inside your body and uh, your own body is powering this bomb. So as long as you're alive, this bomb is active and I can activate it anywhere in the world and blow you and anyone around you to bits at uh, without warning. That bomb inside his chest, because there's an x-ray showing the bomb, that's not a very big bomb in his chest either. It looks like a little bug in his chest and... I'm like, well, okay, if that's what you guys say. They don't look that <laughs> yeah. powerful, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, it's uh, reminiscent of the Suicide Squad, isn't it? Yes, it Bomb, is. Bombs Very in the heads. So. Yes. So he, he's, uh, what does he do about this bomb? And he, okay, his plan is I'm going to uh, sneak up back to uh, General Immortus's house and burst in through his window in the middle of the night, holding what looks like a gun, but it's actually a pipe. Yeah, it is a pipe. <laughs> that will trick General Immortus into shooting me. Um, yeah, and then my plan he is... Yeah, he, he shoots... Uh, <laughs> General Immortus tries to shoot him, and he's like, I got a pipe. And, okay, yeah. Right. Step one. Okay, step one achieved in his plan. The second part of the plan is to get himself back to his own uh, house or uh, his lab, where he has a robot called uh, RA2, Robot Assistant 2. Uh, he previously had an uh, RA1. Yeah, not, um, to, not to be confused with uh, the first one. So, yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, so he gets this robot to do the operation. When he dies, the robot can remove the bomb safely because it's no longer being powered by his body. And then the robot can uh, reanimate him. And then, but he discovers it didn't quite go to plan. It took a little bit longer and he's lost the use of his legs. Then that's how he becomes wheelchair bound. Wheelchair bound, yeah. He's robot to trash everything, trash the lab to destroy all evidence of uh, how to bring people back to life. And then he kills the robot. He actually takes a, a gun and blows the robot's head off and, I, and with a bang, bang, bang. And I'm like, well, that's kind of, I'm like, I'm surprised that the sensor's back at the time, even though it's robot violence. You know, it looked a little rough for, you know what I mean, for, for the time. I mean, basically, I mean, basically, you know, he's killing his robot, which could almost be, you know, he was like, well, that's kind of a harsh panel for the comic code to pass, but it's just a robot, so no big deal. It's a literally a double tap to the head. It's an execution it is. style. It is <laughs> yeah. a very nasty shot to the head. Yeah, but, so uh, file that away if you're thinking, could he be a villain in the future? Because <laughs> yeah. yes. I guess uh, the Baron is uh, up to, in the present day, the Baron is doing more crimes. Um, so he's robbing uh, a town, but the cops are on their way and they discover a house completely uh, blocking the road into the town on its side. Yeah, I, is... I saw that. As, yeah, it's like, well, oh, that's kind of interesting. There's you know, <laughs> just black of the road, no big deal there. Yeah, no, you love that sort of budget in a comic where they can just say, okay, giant house blocking a road on its side. We got to do something. Yeah. I don't know what. We're having a slow <laughs> day here. But uh, giant embiggened Rita shows up carrying her favorite action figures again. Yeah, walks around it. Yeah, heads into the town where all the robberies are taking place. Negative Man gets released and starts uh, taking out bad guys. So he basically has negative energy when he flies through someone, they collapse. There's traps in town. So uh, the negative energy is disrupted by rays from a cat's eye in a, in a building facade. And then, yeah, so Larry's out of action. They've got to get him free so he can get back to his body in time. What happens, giant... what happens to Larry if he doesn't get back to his body? He dies, correct? Or yeah, he dies. Him? Yeah, yeah. It's sixty seconds, which is very neat and tidy. But uh, yeah, that was one of the things to uh, keep the the drama in the early stories of um, yeah. Kind of like Thor's hammer. If Thor doesn't get his hammer back within sixty seconds. He turns back to Donald Blake. Yeah, it's a it's a little um, action driver that uh, and a ticking ticking clock for the action. Uh, a giant scoop catches uh, Rita. It's like a giant crane scoop thing that closes around her. It's electrified, so she's only safe on the floor. But she finds a little hole, a, a little gap where the two claws meet, shrinks down to get out of it, and then walks straight into a jar, trapped in a jar by the Baron. You know, it makes you wonder why, now that she's in the jar, why didn't she just, just decide to grow tall again and break out of the jar? Comic book science. I know. Uh, you got to just... <laughs> disconnect your mind and your brain it's like watch one of them eye candy movies you know you just gotta just go with the flow and go you know i'm picking on the story but it really is kind of a fun story i actually did enjoy reading it it's been a while since i read some of this older doom patrol and it's a long story for the times you know a lot of the um dc stuff were short shorter stories you know they would put yeah you know lots of stories in there go on finish up with uh what happens at the end because now we got you know the, the last part is the showdown for the chief so what happens? Yeah. So the chief shows, uh, well, basically the Baron 
reveals that he's actually General Immortus and we see his delightful wrinkly face um, and he says you must come and give me the secret because you've destroyed all evidence of the secret of our long life or I will kill your your team so uh, they meet by a railway line uh, there's a great big train there the chief shows up and basically instead of giving the secret to General Immortus he Pulls out a flamethrower, melts the chains that are on uh, Cliff Steel, Robot without, Man. So without melting Cliff. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So of all the weapons to back in your wheelchair, a flamethrower. Yeah. Hey, so. that's a, you know, he's, he's covering that wheelchair with a blanket, so he can hide a lot of stuff within that wheelchair. <laughs> just yes. Saying. Cliff is able to free uh, Robot Man, uh, Negative Man from the uh, sort of the iron coffin that he's in. They And then they're able to let Rita free. General Immortus jumps in his train. <laughs> Rita grabs the train, lifts the whole thing up into the air and uh, is shaking it till a rocket pops out of it. Yeah, like, I know. Literally. You know, at the very beginning of the, of the train, this, this this rocket comes out of nowhere and just starts to go off. I'm going, yeah, more Silver Age fun here. Just got to like, you know, <laughs> go with the flow. No, but it, I mean, yeah. I'm not making fun of it. It's actually kind of, kind of fun and innovative. It's like, okay, what can we do now? What can we do now? <laughs> Let's have a rocket come out of the train. Uh, Negative Man releases his energy, disrupts the rocket, and causes it to explode. And that's the end of the mission. And they're all like, well, General Immortus must be dead. And the chief's like, eh, probably, possibly not. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe not. Comes you know, back, he did this before. <laughs> the, the Doom Patrol is really a different type of structure than what DC Comics was putting out during that time. And I don't I can't even say that they were trying to really copy Marvel. It's almost like the Doom Patrol, Arnold Drake was actually trying to do his own little thing in the comic book without, you know, following on the heels of Marvel or some of the other DC stuff. It just, you know, the other group at the time would be the Justice League, but the Doom Patrol seems more real at times, you know, like there's more higher stakes involved and there's more character building yeah it's got a creativity to it that you don't see in a lot of other stories of the time i mean if if anything the doom patrol are probably closest to the fantastic four as far as the character types involved Um, yeah you're right they they are close to the fantastic four i did but most of the doom patrol stuff though they didn't go after the sci-fi fantasy crazy stuff but they did have that dynamic you're right yeah and yeah, the, I mean, Ro- Robot Man and the Thing are, are quite sem- uh, similar as far as, you know, they're blustery and strong and uh, working class. Now, wouldn't you agree the guy who did the art, his name is Bruce, and I cannot pronounce that last name. It's like Bruno pa- uh, Premiani. Premiani. He did some really stellar work in the Doom Patrol. Wouldn't you agree? It's some really dynamic oh, pages yeah. and stuff. I mean, just looking yeah. at this, I mean, his, his artwork is full of uh, background material, and it's like, how can I be... How can I be creative in doing all this stuff? He also was one of the co-creators of the Teen Titans, which if you look at his art with the Teen Titans, it's like, well, it's kind of different than what the Doom Patrol and the Teen Titans were doing at the same time. This actually done in one Doom Patrol really can act as a good primer to introduce a new fan to some of the older Doom Patrol stuff. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I mean, if you like what you read here, then you're going to read something similar in most other stories about, you know, the early Doom Patrol, because this is a pretty typical adventure, you know, the the villain's very creative, uh, the team has to basically overcome the villain's surprises, you know, to win the day, and yeah, it's fairly typical and lots of fun, but I mean, you get to see a lot of the stuff that, you know, 
makes the chief a villain later. He, he's a control freak. He's secretive. He's suspicious. He compartmentalizes his plans from people so they don't know what's going on. You're absolutely right about that because, again, later on, they, they do make him into a villain, but you're right. You see the seeds of here. It's like, I don't trust people. I've got plan A, plan B, plan C all lined up. Yeah. I'll let you know when I I'll let you know when I when I decide to let you know it all. Is there anything else you want to talk about or mention about Doom Patrol before we wrap this up, this little brief uh, introduction to Doom Patrol? Probably the main thing is they've got a lot of history and it it has a lot of variety in the way the stories are done. So I mean in the early in the in the 70s they were brought back in a revival and that was you know that was almost like x-men stories and then grant morrison got hold of them in the 80s and basically pioneered vertigo weirdness and you know bringing lots of outside influences and really clever storytellers uh storytelling and really big concepts um so there's a lot of a lot of variety in the book and i think i think it holds a lot of it holds up and it's it's a good book to I know if you follow it over the decades, you're going to read all types of comics and it's going to be, you know, it evolves over time. And, but it all kind of hangs together as one piece, even though there's so many dramatic changes, you can see it all. You can still connect the dots. You can connect the dots of their history and see the evolution of the Doom Patrol as a team and as also the various characters over time. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But uh, I, I enjoy them. I hope they come back soon. I, would hope that they're a little less weird now because we've had like a couple of decades of that. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to ask you, if they were to come back, you know, what what flavor of Doom Patrol would you prefer to see? I would yeah. like, honestly, I'd like to see an anthology where people get to have a shot of it, sort of like Legends of the Dark Knight for the Doom Patrol, where different creative teams can tell their Doom Patrol story because a lot of people have a Doom Patrol story in them but don't get to do it, so... You know, it's unfortunate that, you know, Doom Patrol is a hit well, here on HBO Max and got two seasons out of the third one coming, but yet they can't seem to find a place in DC Comics for the Doom Patrol. Yeah, they're a little a little scared of putting them out there at the moment, but I, I presume that's because they're working on something behind the scenes. So. Well, DC, you know, with, with Time Warner, I'm sorry, with AT&T selling Time Warner to Discovery, I don't think that... AT&T was a very good steward to the DC properties. They really didn't do a very good job. And I'm hoping that the new owners are going to be better stewards for DC Comics. Yeah. That's my hope. I uh, do you do you read comic books off the um you guys you don't do digital comics, do you? You don't read off the you got physical copies there, don't you? Um I read digital mostly actually. Okay. I, I, I have do a lot you, of trades and things, but mostly do, digital now. Do you have the um DC Comics Infinite service there in Australia yet? Yeah, no, it launched uh, at the beginning of April. So, yeah, we have had it for uh, for a while now. But I, I used to uh, use my VPN and get it as an American. <laughs> gotcha. You know, when when over the last few weeks, and we'll wrap this up in a but over the last few weeks when um, Discovery closed that deal, they made some very big shifts and changes in how Time Warner and stuff. But one of the things they didn't do was to pull back on the DC Infinite you know, yeah. You know that's you know because now you know they they knocked down CNN Plus. Here they canceled a lot of the Arrowverse shows already, yeah. and I'm like, but they didn't touch the comic books. If they were going to touch like even the DC Infinite series, which I think is a fantastic service because you can read all well not all but you can read big chunks of comic books at your leisure and pick up cool stuff. I really hope that they add more content to it and make it a better service overall. So well, that's I mean, my it's. Hope. 
it's really essential to do things like DCOCD because um, a series like Year of the Villain, if you look that up, there's 166 issues and I'm not going to buy, buy them. No, <laughs> I, I, and I agree with you. And I'm hoping that at DC Comics, as they're starting to reorganize and shape things up, that they make a better effort of bringing back the Doom Patrol some of the other comic books that they kind of let, you know, get into the gutter for a few years. All right, Paul, yeah. I'm going to wrap this up. I'm going to say thanks again for doing this. This was fun and different. I don't get to cover Silver Age very often. I do hope you'll come back in the future and we can work something out. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Well, that's it for today's podcast. Again, I would love to hear from you, fantastic comic fan at gmail.com. Remember, new episodes every Wednesday. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, and I hope to see you next time.